Hey, uh, what an introduction. Like, thank you. Golden retriever. I've never gotten that before. Our, our, uh, our senior pastor calls me the hype guy on staff, and I'm either, like, hype or hate. Is anyone like that, by the way? Like, either, like, everything is, like, the best or it's the worst. Anybody? Anybody? All right, just me. So that's kind of the, maybe that's the golden retriever vibe you're picking up on. Okay, but hey, I'm honestly, so excited to be here. Uh, first of all, like, who loves Mark and Missy? Aren't they just the best? Anybody? Oh, my gosh. So yeah, as Mark was saying, we were in a, actually it was like a C.S. Lewis class together at Fuller. It was so fun. We were like the youngest people there by like 20 years, and so we hit it off right away. Went out to dinner and just had a great time. It was just so fun. It was awesome. And Adam is the man too. So honestly, thank you guys so much for letting me be here and, and share with you guys tonight. And then I also want to just say too, give a quick shout out. Your guys' worship team killed it. Like, can we give it up for the worship team? Woo! I felt like I was like at a Hillsong concert or something. It was just that good. It was so awesome. So, well, hey, tonight, um, super excited. I want to share with you my story, and I want to share with you the biggest thing that God has taught me this last year. And so I hope that's okay. Uh, if you are taking notes or, you know, on your phone or anything, um, the title of my message is going to be Extraordinary. And I'm going to pray for us real quick, and then we're just going to dive right in. So, Jesus, thank you so much, Lord, for this honor, for this privilege it is to, to Lord, be here at Menlo, uh, Lord, with this wonderful community. And I just pray, Jesus, that you would, uh, Lord, that you would use this message, God. It's totally yours. And uh, Lord, so would you encourage us? Would you inspire us? Would you build us up tonight? Jesus, thank you so much for this beautiful opportunity to be together in your name. Everybody said? Amen, amen. Well, hey, I, I think that there is an innate desire inside of all of us for the extraordinary. Like, we all, like, long to lead an extraordinary life, to leave an extraordinary legacy, to create something that matters, to build something that lasts, to know at the end of our lives that we had purpose and meaning and significance. And I think it's more than just this desire, in fact. I think it's actually a calling. I think it's a mandate that we actually have from God to actually live an extraordinary life. The, the, the greatest sermon ever preached was preached by Jesus. It's called the, the Sermon on the Mount. And he makes this, like, really peculiar, like, statement in this sermon. I want to read it to you. It's Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. This is what Jesus is saying. He says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds. Sorry, I'm, gonna, like, I'm, I'm kind of a talkback guy, too. So everyone say exceeds. Oh, you're killing it. Let's go. It's going to be a good night. Okay, so I, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Now, I have to admit, I read over that verse my entire life, basically. I had no idea what it meant. I was just confused by it, so I just kind of skim over it. Uh, now, what I do know is that the scribes and the Pharisees back then were, like, seen as the epitome of religious piety and devotion. And so Jesus' original hearers would have heard that statement and gone, how could anybody be more righteous, more spiritual, more, like, godly than that? Now, one of my heroes is a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, he was a theologian during World War II era, uh, just so profound. If you ever get a chance to check out his works, I highly recommend it. But he basically zooms in on this verse and kind of unpacks it for us. In fact, he gets specific. He gets into the Greek, which was the original language that Jesus was teaching in. And, and, and he actually, he looks at this word exceeds, which is a Greek word, this parason. And this is what he says. He says, how do, how do the disciples differ from the rest of the world? Like, what does it really mean to be a Christian? Here we meet the word which controls the whole Sermon on the Mount and sums up everything that we've heard so far. What makes the Christian different from other men is the parison, the extraordinary. This is the quality whereby the better righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. It is the more, the beyond that. And then he says this. It's so profound. He says, for Jesus, the hallmark of the Christian is the extraordinary, the extraordinary. 
to, to put it simply, we are actually called to the extraordinary. Like we're actually called to live with our lives with extraordinary grace and extraordinary patience and extraordinary kindness and extraordinary love towards everybody around us. We're actually supposed to stand out from the rest of society because of the extraordinary in our lives. And I think it's so interesting too, when you read through this book, you'll, you'll come across this word holy like all the time. And, and, and what's so interesting is even that word holy means to be set apart, to be different in a good way. You could even say to be extraordinary. Now, I'll be really real. I used to be like really insecure about my life story. So I'm just going to kind of get into it. I grew up in Seattle. Uh, my senior year of high school, we broke the state record 300 consecutive days of rain. So I was like utterly depressed. I was so ready. I mean, I moved down to Los Angeles like the second I graduated. Like, peace out, parents. I'll see you guys later, okay? And, uh, and so I moved down to L.A. And I had a plan. This was my plan. I was going to go to Bible college. And uh, during Bible college, I was going to meet a girl. I was going to fall in love. I was going to graduate. And then I was going to become like a youth pastor. And by the way, that's what everybody at Bible college like thinks. And I found that out very, very quickly. Like we'd be in chapel and it was kind of like a Pentecostal Bible college too. So everyone was just like going for it and worship, hands up. And yet at this particular Bible college, uh, which by the way, our, 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 like, our reputation was bridal college. That's what like people around us would actually call it. Like, everyone was so thirsty to get married. It was, it was intense. And everyone would, like, everyone would like worship God. Like forget about the right hand. They would just worship God with the left hand like right up, right? And they would do a little dance with their ring finger just saying, I'm single and I'm ready to mingle. Can I hear an amen, you know? And we had this, like, it was a whole group. They were always in front, and they were just, oh, I called them the left-handed worshipers. And you can find them at every single church. You can find them at every Bible college. In fact, we, uh, we took our team, our, our staff, uh, down to Zoe Conference down in Los Angeles. I've never seen so many left-handed worshipers in my entire life. So if you're single, just go to Zoe Conference. You're, just look for the left-handed worshipers, okay? But, but th that was my plan. Like, I was going to be a youth pastor. I was going to get married right after Bible college. And then after being a youth pastor for, like, five years, I was going to be an associate pastor for five years. And I was going to kill it. And then I was going to arrive as America's big next mega pastor. I mean, that was, like, that was my plan. Like, that was what I wanted more than anything. If I could just be real, whoo, my life has looked anything but that. Like, I went to Bible college for a year, did not like it at all, and so then transferred up to a different college up in Oregon, lived there for a little bit, ran out of money, so then I, like, actually got hired, uh, I reached out to a couple different pastors, got hired as a church as a 19-year-old, as a high school pastor. I look back, by the way, on some of the sermons I preached as a 19-year-old kid, I was like, Jesus, I hope, like, it counted. Like, I hope those, those kids are, like, still saved. All those people I baptized, I hope it, like, I hope it works, you know? Like, oh, Jesus, have mercy, you know? But, but I, I was... I was a youth pastor, uh, you know, got my ordination at like 21. Uh, during that time too, oh my gosh, I, I like, I, I have a passion for like academia. That's why at Fuller, I'm just loving being at Fuller Seminary. But, but man, I, because like I had to kind of figure this out on my own, I went to literally like six different colleges and universities before I actually graduated my undergrad and even beginning at Fuller because I was just trying to figure it out. And then during that time too, I met this girl. I was 24 years old. We fell in love, got married. She told me all she ever wanted to be was a pastor's wife and to just change the world. And I was, like, so pumped on it and so excited. And I'm about to just, like, get really real with you here tonight. But last year, she actually, uh, she looked at me and she said, I, I don't want anything to do with God. I don't want anything to do with the church. And I don't want anything to do with you. And I, I got married way too young, and I'm out. And she filed for divorce. And all of a sudden, here I am 
<laughs> this 28-year-old who is going to Fuller Seminary to get his master's in divinity, who is an associate pastor and just actually left that comfortable associate pastor job to actually go plant a church in Walnut Creek and make zero money by planting a church. And, 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 and here I am, all of a sudden, I'm a, I'm a pastor, I want to be a theologian, and then my marriage is just, it, it just fell apart. And, and I'm looking at my life and I'm going, oh, Lord, like, how are you going to use this? Like, how are you going to redeem this? Like, what, 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 what are you, you going to do? And I'll be real. I thought that that disqualified me from actually living an extraordinary life. Like, for a long time, I actually thought that I was disqualified from any of my dreams actually becoming true, from God actually using me in significant and profound ways. And yet, this is the biggest thing that I've learned through all that pain, through all that suffering, and I hope it makes sense to you, and I hope it blesses somebody here tonight. But this is what I've learned, that everything, everything, if surrendered to Jesus Christ, feeds the extraordinary. Everything. Every twist and turn, every up and down, every disappointment, every moment of pain and suffering and heartbreak, every moment where we go, God, where are you? What are you doing? Everything in our lives, everything that we encounter, everything that we go through, if we give it to Jesus Christ, if we surrender it to Jesus, makes our life story even more extraordinary. It gives us a story worth telling the world. One of, one of my favorite philosophers is a guy named Soren Kierkegaard, and he, he wrote this book called Fear and Trembling, which basically like zooms in a couple chuckles. You, yeah, maybe you're familiar with him. Um, but, he, but he wrote this book called Fear and Trembling, and it zooms in on the life of Abraham, and specifically the moment uh, in, in Genesis chapter 22 when God actually tested Abraham. And, and Kierkegaard basically, he, he unpacks why Abraham was such an, an extraordinary figure, like such a heroic person, like why we actually refer to him as the father of our faith still today. And he talks about how Abraham's entire life was basically one of just testing. Like he was just running on faith constantly. And then finally, at the ripe age of 100 years old, God's promises come to fruition for Abraham, only for him to actually be tested in an even greater capacity soon afterwards. And this is what Kierkegaard concludes. He says that the, the, the journey was painful, it was lonely, it was agonizingly long. But he says this, that Abraham became great not by any means of being relieved of the distress, the agony, the paradox, which is the word that he uses for faith, but because of these. Because of these things. You see, it was, it was the fear, it was the pain, it was the anguish, it was the mystery, it was the distress that Abraham actually encountered and overcame in God that made him extraordinary. Everything in our lives, everything we go through, everything we endure, if we surrender it to Jesus Christ, makes our life story even more extraordinary. And I'll be real, this should actually like liberate us. Like it should actually free us. Because if, if you live for perfection, you are going to burn out and you are gonna just absolutely hate life. Like you're gonna live in this facade, you're gonna lose your authentic self and you're gonna be exhausted all the time. If you live for success, you may actually attain success, you may actually experience success, but your life is going to be so inconsistent because of however you define that success. And yet here's the reality. If you live for the extraordinary, if you live just to live an extraordinary life in Jesus Christ, then no matter what comes your way, no matter what bullets are shot your way, no matter what obstacles are thrust onto your path, guess what? It just makes your life even more extraordinary. It's even what Joseph, in, in, at the end of the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, he said to his, to his brothers, it, it, you could read the story later, but he said, you meant evil against me, and yet God used it for good. He, he brought about the extraordinary in a way that I never could. So profound. So I want, I want to share with you, because I've had a lot of people even come to me and 
say, how'd you, how'd you get through it? Like, how did, you, how did you get through everything over the last couple of years? And my response is pretty simple. It's, it's Jesus is everything he ever promised me he would be. And I've had an army of people surrounding me and cheering me on. And so I have two really quick points, two super simple points tonight, that if we're going to step into the extraordinary, we need two things. The first is we need God's people, and we need God's presence. We need God's people, and we need God's presence. So let's start with the first. God's people. God's people. My, my best friend lives down in, in Palm Springs, which like right now is like 120 degrees. Which, by the way, anyone like liking the heat today? Is anyone enjoying it? Wow! Oh, pray for me, because I, I, like, I was like borderline losing my faith for a little bit. I was like, Lord, you know, why are you doing this? Anyway, uh, so I, lived in, I actually lived in Palm Springs, believe it or not, for a little bit, and that's how I met this guy. And so we're best friends. We hit it off. I go down there every couple of months just to hang and kick it. And I went down in October of this last year, and we did this thing called an escape room. Has anyone done an escape room before? It was my first time there. It was kind of fun. And then afterwards, because it was October, there was a haunted house across the street. And so we all figured, hey, what the heck? Like, why not? Let's do this haunted house. And so we, we, we get in there, and, and um, you know, I'm like, I'm excited, and yet at the same time, I'm like, I don't want to be that guy that's like screaming, you know, like a little two-year-old the whole time. So I come up with this plan. I come up with this strategy that I'm going to surround myself with all of my friends, and I'm going to be in the exact, like, middle so they can absorb all of the trauma and all of the fear, you know? And, and it was a genius plan. And so I literally, guys, I have to admit, this is me just getting real transparent with you this morning or, or tonight. Uh, is that I actually, I, I literally, I grabbed this, like, she was in our, our, our friend group. It wasn't some random person. That would be really bad, really weird. But I grabbed the hood of her sweatshirt and used her as a human shield the entire time. I was like, I, I literally, at one point, I threw her into this, like, zombie figure, you know? I was like, eat her! Don't eat me! Like, if somebody's dying tonight, it's not gonna be me, you know? And so I'm like, I'm literally surrounded by this, this shield, aka all my friends, okay? And, and we're going from one room room to the next to the next and I gotta I gotta admit it worked my plan worked I was like cool calm and collective the whole time why because I was like throwing my friends you know out for everybody else you know I, I do have to admit I lost my cool once I did uh, it was towards the end and it's super cliche so don't judge me but the guy came out with the chainsaw and no matter how many times you've been in a haunted house that will freak you out okay and I had just bought brand new Yeezy boosts too and I didn't want to crease them but I started like sprinting I was like this guy uh, he's got a chainsaw I mean I'm out Okay, and, and the way this particular haunted house was like shaped, by the way, was like this loop. So you kind of go from room to room to room to room to room, and then the chainsaw guy. And so I'm sprinting back, and I finally, I get to the end, and I'm like, I'm literally, I'm sweating, I'm panting, I'm out of breath, and I look up, and there's this group, and I'm just keeping it real, okay? But there's this group of just beautiful girls, and they're all staring at me. And, and I, I look up, and I'm like, oh. I almost lost my cool back there. <laughs> it was the only thing I could even think of at the time. It was t a terrible line. And then they all started laughing, and I was humiliated, and that was the end of my story, okay? But the whole reason why I even share this, the whole reason why I even share this is because with that exception of that last moment when I thought I could do everything on my own, I, I had peace because I was surrounded. I was fine because I was surrounded. I actually made it through all of these obstacles and through all these things because I was surrounded. And I think that's such a beautiful picture of what community actually does in our lives. You see, when we have community, when we got a crew, when we got people, and by the way, I'll just say this because I grew up in church. I, just because you're around people doesn't mean you got people. Like, just because you're around people doesn't mean you got people. Like, you need people in your corner. You need people who know you on your good days and your bad days. You need people who know everything there is about you and still love you and are still committed to you. 
But if you have those kind of people, if you have that community in your life, the things that should knock you down, they don't. The things that should take you out of the race, they can't. Why? Because you have a community around you. You are surrounded by people, and they are able to actually absorb some of the pain that you will encounter, some of the suffering that you will encounter, some of the difficulties and disappointments that life brings. They are able to actually absorb on your behalf. I love what the scriptures say in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9. This is Solomon, and he's reflecting back on his life, and he says this. He says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. You see, as soon as we break off, as soon as we try to do this thing called life by ourselves, we end up making a fool of ourselves. I think one of the best ways to say it is this. To isolate yourself is to desolate yourself. To isolate yourself is to desolate yourself. Man, you got to surround yourself with people. you got to make sure you're not a, only around people, but you actually got people. So keep coming to sanctuary. Get involved in those groups. Like open your lives up to people because you were created for community. You weren't created to live life by yourself. We need God's people if we're going to live an extraordinary life. And here's the second thing. We need God's presence. We need God's presence in our lives. I think Joshua chapter 1 is... It's one of the most epic chapters in scripture. Like Moses, who was the great leader of Israel, who led them out of Egypt. Like he just died and he passed the baton on to this guy named Joshua. And it's this epic moment where the Lord's speaking to Joshua and he says, you know, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. I will be with you wherever you go. I mean, all these profound moments. And so many people think that Joshua's story starts in Joshua 1. And yet the reality is his story starts a long time before then. And we see glimpses of it in Numbers. We see glimpses of it in Exodus. And there's one particular moment in Exodus chapter 33. I want us to zoom in on for a second. Exodus 33, verse 11, it says this, that the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, like two people talking to each other. And then Moses would come back to the camp, but his young assistant Joshua, Nun's son, wouldn't leave the tent. He wouldn't leave the tent. You see, Joshua would accompany Moses into the presence of God, and God would speak to Moses in profound and personal ways. And then Moses would go back to the house and watch Netflix or Hulu or do whatever he does, right? But Joshua would just stay there. Like Joshua would just linger in the presence of God. He would just hang out with God even a little bit longer. I'll be honest. I've learned this in life. Everybody wants the Joshua 1 story, but few are willing to have the Exodus 33 experience. Like, everybody wants a Joshua 1 story. Everybody wants to be used by God. Everyone wants to live an extraordinary life. Everybody wants to leave an extraordinary legacy. Everybody wants the Joshua 1 experience, but few are actually willing to have the Exodus 33 experience. Few are actually willing to put in the, the blood, the sweat, the tears, the time, the energy, the devotion to actually hang out with God, to get to know God, to actually read this book, the scriptures, to actually hear his voice, and for God to actually become real to us. Uh, another kind of huge component in my story is I grew up a pastor's kid. My dad pastored this small church uh, in Seattle, Washington. And, and when I was five years old, it came out that my mom had actually been having a series of affairs for over a year. And my family just, like, it exploded overnight. Like, my dad left the church and not left the church, left the church, but stepped down from his, pastor, uh, his pastoral role and and then my, like, my parents had split custody, too, so it was just awful. Like, I was just dragged from house to house. It was like Mondays, Wednesdays, every other weekend. I was at my mom's and then the opposite of my dad's. And it was like a childhood just living out of a suitcase, out of a backpack, you know. And, and yet every time I was at my dad's house, I would see him read scripture. I'd see him read this book. 
And, and, and then after he'd read it, he'd hang out, and he had such joy and such strength and such energy and such just devotion even to us. And so I, I started to grow up a little bit older, and I, about eight years old, I was kind of starting to put the pieces together. There was some intrinsic connection between him actually hanging out with God and him actually living in that particular way. And all during the time, by the way, my mom's house just grew more and more toxic and more and more abusive. And so as an eight-year-old kid, I, I went up to my dad. I go, Dad, could you teach me how to read this, this book? Like, could you teach me, like, where to even start? Like, I have no idea. This is a big book, you know? Like, teach me how to read it. And so we would sit down and Every week, we'd, we'd start just reading the Bible together. And I'd go over to my mom's house. And again, it was just so toxic and so abusive and so difficult. And I'd go out to this one little area in the backyard. I still remember it. In fact, I went back there this last Christmas and had kind of a moment with the Lord. There was this little rock. It was kind of shaped like a reclining chair. And so i just sit there as a kid. And i just read this book. And I'll be real. I didn't understand half of it. I was eight years old. I mean, I, I literally had no idea what I was reading most of those moments. But it was in those moments that God became real to me. It was in the darkness that God became real to me. It was in the pain and the loneliness that God became real to me. It was in the confusion that God became real to me. That I began to understand that God actually loved me. That God actually wanted a relationship with me. That he actually wanted to be close to me. That I was actually called by God and created by God to do something extraordinary in my life. And here's the beautiful thing. Is that that is true of every single one of you. Man, the Lord loves you so much. He, he, he's created you for the extraordinary. He's called you for the extraordinary. And that's going to look different for every single one of us because we're all so uniquely made, and that's uh, so beautiful. We get to celebrate that. But every single one of us, is that, that's true. But we need God's people, and we need God's presence to remind us of that and to help us actually step into that. And I'll close with this. Jesus, he, he said in John chapter 10, 10, he's talking to his disciples, and he says this. He goes, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy, but I came that you had life and have it abundantly, and have it abundantly. You know what's crazy? Is that that word abundantly in the Greek is that same word parason. It's a variation of it, but it means extraordinary. And there's one other reference in, in, in the scriptures that I just think is so powerful too. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. It's such an epic verse. This is the Apostle Paul. He's writing to the church in Ephesus, and he says this. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly then all we could ask or think according to the power at work within us to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. Now, that, again, that phrase, far more abundantly, guess what word it is? A variation of the Greek word, parason, extraordinary. Man, God has called you to the extraordinary. He's created you for the extraordinary. But if you're going to step into the extraordinary and you're going to live the life that you were called and created to live, you're going to need God's people around you and you're going to be in God's presence every single day. Can I hear an Amen. Awesome. Let me pray for you. Jesus, thank you so much. Lord, thank you for your presence. Lord, we, we, we just pause even right now to acknowledge that, Lord, we're in it right now. That, Lord, you, you, you are here. And, Lord, I pray that you would speak to every single one of us even now, Jesus. That you would encourage us. Lord, some of us were in kind of that, those harder moments in life. And I pray that, Lord, you would speak to us that you are right there and that you will never let us go. Lord, some of us, we've been through a lot, whether that's trauma, whether that's pain, whether that's suffering, whether that's heartache, whether that's disappointment. Lord, would you speak to our hearts tonight even? And Lord, help us to realize, to see that everything, if surrendered to Jesus, just feeds the extraordinary. And Lord, right now, most importantly, Lord, we just take a moment to pause and to actually surrender our lives to you to surrender those things. 
Lord, and even right now, Jesus, we do that. Lord, come and take every part of us. Lord, every single part that's maybe, uh, Lord, experience success and experience failure. Experience mistakes and experience great triumphs. Experience disappointments and experience heartbreak. Lord, we surrender it to you today. Would you make our lives extraordinary? In Jesus' name, let's worship.